carried me to say this is my final day I died a thousand times my words are left now blind I hold you close to me I hold you close to me Around 6.30pm on August 25, 2001, a twin-engine Cessna airplane crashed into a marshland on Abaco Island in the Bahamas only minutes after takeoff. The plane crash tragically cut short the life of 22-year-old R&B pop princess Aaliyah Dana Houghton. During her short, incredible career as a music and film phenom, Aaliyah's cool street style, silky vocals and catchy tunes topped the charts, beginning as a teenager and revolutionised R&B with her sultry mix of pop, soul, and hip-hop. And we're back with Split Second. Oh, wrong podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, we're going into this? I should have. I should have well, went into it. How many beers have you had this Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And now I don't even I have my margarita. I eat. That's probably what the problem I even, is. I know, right? Now that we're doing that whole intermittent fasting to get... Did you know what? Oh, yeah. I was well, doing listen, it and she Melissa and I are like dying. We're like, is it 12 o'clock? <laughs> Let's go. It's 1230. <laughs> um, we're back with Rockabye. But you can sign up for a split second, okay? It's on iTunes, Spotify, everything. But anyway, I might cut that part out. Anyway. <laughs> so we're here with somebody that Megan recommended right and i was so on board with it so on board with it and it's miss Aaliyah dana houghton so baby girl yeah thank you thank you because i i thought it was a great idea is this pole in your way no <laughs> you sure I, I, i'm good <laughs> I, i'm like he's I'm here but he's not here you know how that sounds is this pole in your way i don't know how that sounds you can turn that any way you want <laughs> i know where you were going <laughs> i know it sounded okay never mind yes it's this fasting probably but so i guess what made you say Aaliyah? i think well Given the criteria we need to have for these, they're artists who are no longer living. Right. And they tend to be deaths that were, you know, that shouldn't have happened. Aside from Frank, he was had lived a full life. But Aaliyah's story always was really intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. I, and she died when I was so young, so I didn't really fully understand it until I, I got older and I started looking up more of her stuff and how that all happened and... There really isn't much on her death and her story. Right. Like, there was a behind the music a long time ago right, on it. Right. And there's been a few things done on it. But it, it really isn't talked about. I don't get it because she she was such a force to be reckoned with. Right. I thought. How did you come across her? Um, MTV. Really? I remember watching Try Again. Yeah. I was like 10, when that, 11 when that came out. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that. And, then, and she's so cool to look at. Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't really get into her music, though, until I was in high school. Nice. But, yeah. That's what about nice. you, Mel? I've loved Aaliyah since the beginning. Like, I remember when she came out, like, with uh, R. Kelly and that first album. And I just loved it, like, from the moment that I heard it. 
Like we were always jamming with Aaliyah and everything at our barbecues and stuff like that. And everybody starts kind of doing a woo-hoo, start moving <laughs> your shoulders. Do you know about Aaliyah? You know what? I will admit that I am, I know of her. I'm mm-hmm. not fully educated on what she's done or, you know, but you know, when a song comes on, you immediately, you know re- you immediately recognize it. Okay. And you know it's her. That's true. But that was her I intention. Wouldn't... That was her intention. Hmm. We'll get to that. But that was the intention of it all. Um, did you watch the surviving R. Kelly with Megan? I watched a good part of it, and it just was to the point it was so disturbing. Was right, you're like, ugh, yeah. I mean, it, it just like it just continued and continued. Like that he just <laughs> you're was like, like okay, dang. like we get the point. Why is this guy still walking out here? <laughs> right, doing this to everybody. Right, like, this is this is out of control. And, mm-hmm. and look, I think some some really good things came from it. That's true. I mean, now they're actually taking action. That's and, true. Uh, you know, but but it's crazy because it. You'd always heard about it, and then it was just right. kind of like, well, that was weird. He urinated on a teenager. Right. And nobody like thought twice about it, and it, and it continued. That's true. Um, he married Aaliyah, and no one thought that was wrong. I mean, they did, and Not then it was here, like, but... well, yeah, it, it was like they did, and then somebody released the marriage certificate, and then it just kind of went away because he had so many hits. Like, he was like... The biggest thing in R&B. I mean, he wrote songs, You're Not Alone by Michael Jackson, from Michael Jackson. The Space Jam song, mm-hmm. I Believe I, I Can Fly. I believe I can fly. So it kind of is this license that happened. Even around, I think that was around the Leah time, because Space Jam was what, 1996? Six. There you go. And Aaliyah was 19, it was 1994. Yeah, that was 94. Yeah. And so, anyway, what? We'll get right into it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say who said this, and this made me think of Aaliyah. Um, Ted Kennedy, when um, JFK Jr. died, he gave a great you know, eulogy for his nephew, and he copied off a, will, a poet named William Butler Yates, and he said that he was talking about John Kennedy Jr., and he was saying, we dare to think that this John Kennedy would live to comb gray hair, but like his father, he had every gift but length of years. And I think of Aaliyah. She had a lot of gifts. That's a great quote But the length of years, Mm -hmm. you know. And then this person actually is a surprise. This person said, and this is Aaliyah because she took a lot of risks, as we'll see. He said, I really try to put myself in uncomfortable situations. Complacency is my enemy. And to me, she was like that. Because she wasn't afraid to just um, take risks, and we'll see how so. But this person, she really st- started liking this movie, music. I'm sorry, I'm messing up right now. It's this. <laughs> <laughs> she really started liking his music before he before she died, and his name is Trent Reznor. Hmm. Nine Inch Nails. She said he was dope. Really? Yeah. And we'll see that. Yeah, her musical styles and tastes started changing. Um, as we'll see about the people that she was going to do. I think she wanted to work with Trent Reznor. Um, it it don't, didn't ever happen. But anyway, we'll jump right into it because this is going to be good. Um, so Alea Dana Houghton was born on January 16, 1979, to which she just turned 40. She would have turned 40. To Michael and Diane Houghton in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, she had an older brother named Rashad. 
And her first name was a feminized version of the name Ali, and it means the highest, the best, and the most exalted one in Arabic. And she always says, I try every day to live up to it. She once told that to USA Weekend. She said, it's a beautiful name, and I'm very proud of it. It is a beautiful name. It is. Interesting. So at the age of four, her parents relocated to Detroit, Michigan, and Aaliyah loved animals. She had every sort of pet imaginable. She said she had everything from dogs, ducks, cats, snakes, iguanas. She had everything. And she and her brother Rashad were very close to her first cousin, Jomo, who was the son of her uncle, Barry Hankerson, which we'll be talking about a lot. Uh, they lived five blocks apart from each other. And Jomo was uh, eight years older than Aaliyah. And Uncle Barry and Aaliyah's dad, Michael, they called him Miguel, I think, began working together on Barry's food di- distribution company. Her mom had been a teacher, and now she was a stay-at-home mom. So Barry Hankerson, Diane's brother, was a music lawyer. And at the time, Barry was the husband of Gladys Knight. He was married to Gladys Knight. Oh, wow. Yeah, she did a great job at the Super Bowl, by the way. That mm-hmm. was the best performance probably the only best performance at it. But anyway, Barry would go on to become the manager of R. Kelly for at least over at least 10 years. And he would also create a record company called Black Ground Records. And her first cousin, Jomo Hankerson, would go on to become president of Black Ground Records in 2000, about a year before she died. So we'll get to more on that. And actually, that's why Megan's giving me that look. So Aaliyah grew up around music. She and her mom would sing around the house all the time. Jomo said in an interview that his aunt Diane, her mom, had an incredible voice. She was an incredible singer. And Aaliyah would sing the whole Whitney Houston albums, and uh, she also loved Luther Vandross around the house. She attended a Catholic school named Jesu Elementary in Detroit. And in 1985, when she was in the first grade, she won a part in a production of Annie, And from that point on, she decided that she wanted to be in show business. So after Annie, Aaliyah had larger roles in musicals, including 42nd Street and Hello, Dolly. Um, Her her fifth grade teacher told a newspaper later on that she was really easy to work with, easy to direct. She was a very positive kid, very hardworking and disciplined. Uh, Even though she was very popular at school, she was shy. And she credits these plays for helping her come out of her shell. Uh, When she was eight years old, she landed gigs singing at talent shows and weddings around the Detroit area. I think her grandmother took her around to a lot of them. That's why she grew so close to her grandma. So at age 10, she got her first vocal coach named Wendelin Petty, who would continue to work with her throughout the recording of her first two albums. And Petty said, as a 10-year-old, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. She knew she wanted to be an entertainer. She and her parents wanted her vocal style to develop so that when she sang, she wouldn't seem like a copycat. When you hear what would be Aaliyah, you know it was Aaliyah, kind of like what you were saying. And she worked hard to develop that. And she worked with him to develop that trademark, like high light vocals, and she called it her head voice when she went really high like that. But she really worked hard to get to that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it, you immediately knew when you heard her. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt who that was. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you didn't, you were like, oh, that's different. Right. And like, who who is that person? Right, because it sounded light but strong. Yeah. But, but her register is also very low. She right. She sing in a low register also. Wow. It so was, she was like a soprano or something? Yeah, I, I don't know how to describe that. I just, 
thought it was really unique. It was, and she worked really hard from that age to develop that voice to make you think it's her, which is fascinating. So at age 10, Aaliyah got her a big break. She competed on Star Search, and she sang My Funny Valentine. Star Search was an American television show that aired from 1983 to 1995 and was hosted by Ed McMahon. It was relaunched from 2003 to 2004. On both versions, contestants competed in several different genres of entertainment, such as female and male vocalists, comedy, spokesmodel, and dance. Besides Leah, other notable contestants were Beyonce, Christina Aguilera, Usher, Pitbull, Backstreet Boys, Justin Timberlake, Adam Sandler, Dave Chappelle, Sharon Stone, and Rosie O'Donnell. She wore a white dress that her grandma made for her. Uh, and by the way, do both, any of you know who, what other acts were on Star Search? Think about your girl. Oh, they were all on it, but I just, I mean, I think there were a ton of people in the 90s who were all on that, that are famous now. Yeah, Jason, yeah. Was Justin Timberlake yep. and Britney Spears. Britney Spears. Christina Aguilera. Christina. They were all part of, like, the Disney Club thing. Yeah, too, the Mickey they? Mouse thing. Yeah. yeah, it was just a little later. Destiny's Child. Yes. Uh, yeah, there was on that. Was it around the same time that they were on the Mickey Mouse Club in that? I think it was a little later. Really? Because how old were they? Maybe not. Well, they, Britney was, like, 12. Justin was maybe... Thirteen. Wow. They were, they were young, but they I were mean, all she together, was right? And you know who else was not on Star Search, but was in the Mickey Mouse Club? He's an actor. He's an actor, and he's oh, with, um, he's with he's, um, he's with Eva Mendes. Yes. Yeah, Ryan Gosling. Yep. He oh, was that's with right. He was on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With them, I don't know if he's still friends. And Justin Simpson actually was no. supposed to be on the Mickey Mouse crew, whatever. Yeah. This is so off topic, but. No. She chickened out after she heard Christina Aguilera go first. Yeah, I would which chicken out too. Which is a tall order because she yeah. can sing. Yeah, that, not that Justin she can, can blow. but well, that, that compared tiny to little Christina human singing like that, which yeah. is a little girl, like, that's compared to Christina, yeah, no, I wouldn't go behind her. <laughs> I'd be like, I gotta so go. So I home. guess she got really nervous and she got stage fright. And wouldn't she didn't you do it? Oh yes, I'd be like, you know what? Mm, I know that's okay. But she I'm did good. all right. She's doing just fine. She's doing fine. She's pregnant again. I know. So, when Aaliyah was 11, Uncle Barry was still married to R&B legend Gladys Knight, who just did a magnificent, I did say she did a magnificent job at the Super Bowl, but anyway, Gladys was playing five nights at the Bally's Casino in Las Vegas, and arranged for his, Barry arranged for his 11-year-old niece to sing with Gladys for a few performances. So, Aaliyah would later say that I was able to learn a lot from that. She said, I began to work the stage, get the audience into it, I learned how to do that, and I also learned how to have fun out there. She said, it's something that I'll never forget. Uh, what an amazing story to say that you sang with Gladys Knight. Um, Aaliyah joined Gladys in renditions of Believe in Yourself, and even going solo on a performance of Home, the song from The Wiz. So she learned early on, kind of like Bruno Mars, because he was a little kid, four years old, performing in Vegas as an Elvis impersonator. I didn't know that. Really? Oh, yeah, it's fucking brilliant. You should look Holy it up. Shit. He was in that movie, Live in Las Vegas. He's still the size of a four-year-old. I know, it's true. That's, that's me. That's he me. is true. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but he's, he, he's, he's, uh, 
It's funny because you can go online and look at it. Leaving Las Vegas. And he's like a little kid. Going, he, can, he can move, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's where he learned. He sang with his family. His whole family did a show. They were like the Osmonds and the Jacksons. See, this is why I like coming here because I learned a lot of random facts about these things. <laughs> Boom. It's great. Boom. The first record that Aaliyah bought was Culture Club's 1983 Karma Chameleon. I love that group. But anyway, by the time she was in her early teens, her favorite artists were Donny Hathaway. We keep hearing about Donny Hathaway, mm-hmm. right? See how influential he is? Stevie Wonder and Johnny Mathis. But once when asked who her role model was, she replied, Barbara Streisand and A Star is Born. Funny enough. movie got yeah. made again. Got made again, and that's how her acting stuff came. Because look, mm-hmm. if you think about Barbara Streisand's career, it illuminated you know, her singing and her acting. Yeah. And then directing, too. So not long after Aaliyah sang with Gladys, Barry formed a new record company, Black Ground Records. And after signing a distribution deal with Jive Records, a larger label, he signed his niece Aaliyah. She was his first uh, signee. He also introduced her to a person that he managed at the time, and you can guess who that is, mm-hmm. R. Kelly. In fact, he's an executive producer on a lot of R. Kelly's earlier albums. Um, when Aaliyah was 14, and that was like in 1993, she and R. Kelly went into the studio and recorded her first album, her debut album, called Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. Uh, the album was released in 1994 when she was 15 years old. Uh, Barry executive produced her album, uh, but R. Kelly wrote every track on that album, except for the cover of the Isley Brothers hit, uh, At Your Best You Are Love. And R. Kelly also played almost all of the instruments. And her first single, Back and Forth, went to number one on the R&B, and it unseated R. Kelly's single, Your Body's Calling. But it's kind of weird because those the titles of those songs is, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Kelly and Aaliyah started appearing everywhere together, sometimes dressed in matching outfits. And um, one of her first public performances to push her debut album was at a special showcase at an urban music conference that was headlined by R. Kelly. And she would always say, at the time, she said, it's always Aaliyah and R. Kelly, R. Kelly and Aaliyah, she said in 1994, December. She said, I don't mind being called his protege because that's what I am. But people started really, you know, even though the songs were dominating the charts, her songs were dominating, you know, riding high, and they were at every interview and at every press stop. Somebody would ask if they were dating or if they were together because when you start dressing alike and when you start coming together to your interviews, that starts, it raises red flags. I mean... The press went into overdrive when Vibe Magazine, uh, by the way, do you guys know who who owned Vibe Magazine at the time? No. You you were looking at his documentary and you're not yet done with it. Quincy Jones? Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. He owned it. But when Vibe Magazine published in its December, January 1995 issue, an article about their relationship and a copy of the marriage certificate, which listed the date of the marriage as August 31st, 1994. And by the way, it took place in Rosemont, Illinois. R. Kelly was 27, and Aaliyah was incorrectly listed as 18 years old um, when she was only 15. Uh, that went into over, that people went nuts. And Danielle Smith, who wrote the Vibe story, who was also the editor, said we wouldn't have printed it if we thought we could get, we could get sued. Our lawyers fact-checked it. 
everything and we stand by the story and we still believe the marriage took place which we probably now know it probably did and they both denied that the marriage occurred and they even denied that they were even together um and that their relationship was only a friendship she was probably paid off to say that probably do you you do you believe they were married yes i do i mean yeah i mean i think it was like common knowledge i mean now kind of seeing you know the bits and pieces that I saw on the, the R. Kelly special. I mean, right. Clearly, there were some really, really, really fucked up things happening. So right. This right. is definitely not out of the realm of what he, he was capable of. He could have threatened her. He could have paid well, her Well, they said off. that he was he very could've... in love with her. I mean, um, well, his uncle, her uncle was the uh, manager, so I'm sure they were like, um, but I just... I don't know. I, I'm I'm gonna say what I'm said in just like two seconds. But for Aaliyah, the rampant speculation became frustrating for her. You know, she said it was a painful time for her and her family, and she cut off all professional personal. Once the marriage certificate was mm-hmm. came out, then they started moving to uh, extricate her. I think her parents swooped in, or probably people swooped in and grabbed her up. Aaliyah might have been threatened to keep her mouth shut. Right. But, like, her family might have been paid off. Barry right. was definitely involved in that. Yeah, because he kept representing him to 2000. I don't think there's a... I think there's something else we're missing. Yeah. We'll probably <laughs> never know. Because everybody's tight-lipped. So, in May 1997, Aaliyah filed a petition in Illinois to have the invalidated marriage certificate expunged from her record because she was not old enough under state law to get married without her parents' consent. Aaliyah admitted in court documents, this is all allegedly, admitted in court documents that she had lied about her age, and a Cook County judge allegedly granted the order and sealed the documents in 1997. I think that this was all talked about in the Chicago Sun-Times when the whole R. Kelly thing bust out. And according to the Chicago Sun-Times, Aaliyah's 1997 filing occurred around the same time that Kelly was in litigation with a then 20-year-old woman who was suing the rapper for $10 million for allegedly having sex with her when she was 15 and he was 24. Both parties eventually agreed to a $250,000 settlement. So Barry had to know about that. Oh, he knew all of that. Yeah. Yeah. He's remained mum doing all this. Do you see why? Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to, to defend yourself. Well, <laughs> when you admit that you knew about He's got that, guilt written that all over him. You're right. You if you know about that girl. You knew about your niece. Who, Oof. You know, not, not, yeah, not wow. good. Wow. Well, if it was your niece, would you? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> I this think wouldn't about, even be a situation. <laughs> I think that sounds like when we were talking about Chris Paul. When you said my mom's a silent assassin, so that would be, and that's the look you gave me. First of all, it just <laughs> doesn't even need to be my niece. It just right. has to be anybody. Right. Like that's that that morally is fucked up. Right. Like you can't. You. Oh, but he saw dollar signs. He's like, how do matter. I handle this? I know. I'm not saying it's okay. Right. I'm saying that's what he did. Right. You think about. In Hollywood, all the other times, like, you remember in The Godfather when, um, um, did you guys ever see The Godfather? I love The Godfather. It's one of my favorite It's been films. a long time. I can't believe you 
haven't seen The Godfather every year. You're Italian-American. I know. <laughs> Do you even remember part of it? You remember when he goes to young. when he goes to Hollywood to make him an offer he can't refuse? I mean, I, I know the scene, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is 20-plus years. The horse head in the bed. Of course. It's an iconic scene. Yeah, because that's a producer, and the producer wants to get, he they want him to give Johnny Fontaine, Frank Sinatra, I guess, mm-hmm. the part, <laughs> and they wouldn't give him the part, so the Godfather sends... Um, uh, it was played by um, Tom Hagen. Since Tom Hagen to Hollywood said, make him an offer he can't refuse. He's like, but he's a producer. Make him an offer he can't refuse. So he comes, Tom Hagen comes to Hollywood. And I, there's a point to this, I know it. Comes to Hollywood and he goes and talks to, actually at Paramount Pictures, he goes, that's where it's filmed, this scene. He goes and says to the big time producer, I think his name was Waltz. You know, give him the part. And he's like, no, I'll never give him the part. He ruined my best girl. He, this and that, talked all kinds of mess. But there's a scene that they kind of cut out from the movie. And it's that Walt's character was there at the at his house because he invited Tom Hagen out to his house. Tom Hagen comes out to the house. He's like, why don't you tell me you, you know, worked for Tom, uh, for Coleone? I mean, he's like, I never mentioned Coleone's name ever. I never mentioned my client's name. So he's like, look, I can do anything, but I can't give you that. And he was like, my, he only makes one request, and that's it. And so he kind of curses them out. But there's a point. They kind of cut out one of the scenes where there was a little 12-year-old that was there with her mom, and she had to sleep with Waltz in order to get a part. It's in the book, too. Oh, the Mario Pozo book. Well, so it's been happening, I guess, in Hollywood for look at look at. Um, he can't ever come back into the United States. Oh, oh, the uh, yeah. Polanski. Yeah. Is it um, Polanski? The director. Yeah. Roman. Roman. From Polanski. Roman, yeah. Roman. Um, yeah, I know. You're <clears throat> that girl was what thirteen. He didn't know. Okay, he didn't know. Okay. Actually, she defended him, actually, later on. Okay, never mind. (laughs) Anyway, so after her hit debut CD, Aaliyah wanted to broaden her horizons for the next album and create fresh music for her fans. In early 1996, when she was 17 years old, she hired a 24-year-old well-known yet unproven producer and gave him a break. And that producer would go on to be a lifelong friend and it would create his career. Uh, and that guy was Timbaland, um, and she also worked with Timbaland's friend and songwriting, songwriting and producing partner Missy Elliott on um, One in a Million, which I love that song. Mm-hmm. Missy Misdemeanor Elliott is an American rapper, singer, songwriter, producer, actress, and dancer. Missy and her frequent collaborator and friend, producer extraordinaire Timbaland, wrote and produced numerous chart-topping hits for not only Aaliyah, but Joe C, SWV, 702, Ciara, Total, Destiny's Child. As a solo artist, Missy has sold over 7 million records in the United States alone. Her innovative and female-empowering songs, as well as award-winning futuristic videos, paved the way for today's pop and soul acts, in addition to being a pioneer pop feminist. In June 2019, Missy will become the first female hip-hop artist to be inducted into the 2019 Songwriters Hall of Fame. Missy Misdemeanor Elliott, who was amazing. Elliott and Timbaland went to Detroit to record with Aaliyah, and they were nervous that she would be a, a diva. 
They were really nervous about her because she had been famous by that point. Um, and they were wrong. She was very good to them. She put them up in the nicest hotel and made them feel like family, they said. Um, Timberland said that Aaliyah was always open to new ideas. Um, she was always willing to approach things from an unusual angle. Uh, she was, uh, you know, would work hard for eight hours at a time, if longer, if need be. And um, because she was 17 years old at the time, they did uh, care, they were real careful about the lyrical content that they wrote for her. Um, but she worked for other album producers on the album, uh, but she really worked significantly with uh, Timbaland and it paid off. And that's the thing about Aaliyah. She's probably the nicest um, musical artist that I've ever did a show on. Out of everybody I've done a show, she's, she's gonna turn out to be the nicest. Like on Nina, we were telling these little nutty Nina stories. It was like, and then she did this. Then she shot a kid in the leg. Didn't she did this? I know, it's crazy. BB <laughs> gun, this is a whole thing. Um, you'd have to listen to it, rock a something for Nina. But Aaliyah is the complete opposite, as we we're going to talk about how super, super nice this girl was. And she was famous at that time. I mean, she had a lot of opportunity to be a real jerk. And she was nicer and nicer as she got older. You know, it's funny because they always say the good die young. I mean, mm, obviously, yeah. you know, the listeners know that that's what happens. Right. Because this is the rock vice. But, uh, right. I mean, she was an angel, appeared to be. I was just thinking that word. She was an angel because I, I couldn't find anything, not one instance of her being mean to anybody, being in a bad mood. They said that even if, you know, fans come up and if they're, like, super fans, she would just give, like, a little hand gesture to her team, like her brother or her team, and they would, you know, nicely, you know, extricate her if she needed to be or whatever. But it was never like, whatever, eh, you know what I mean? Never, yeah. never. So uh, as the album, you know, One in a Million was a huge breakthrough hit for Aaliyah. And it went double platinum. It also launched Timberland's career into the stratosphere as an award-winning producer. <laughs> and as the album was burning up the charts, Aaliyah continued to attend uh, Detroit High School for Fine and Performing Arts. She majored in dance, and she graduated in 1997 with a 4.0 GPA. Uh, while in high school, she became a spokesperson for Tommy Hilfiger jeans, and the clothes she wore in the campaign ad sold out many times. Isn't that crazy? A 4.0 GPA. 4.0 GPA, still in high school, selling yes. out Tommy Hilfiger jeans. Yes, and selling out her album. That album went bonanza. And they said that she even put some of her classmates in some of the videos. That's amazing. Well, that, that's the, the other amazing thing is, like, once yeah. you get to that level of stardom, usually most people are like, well, I don't need any of this Yeah, anymore. I don't know you anymore. Well, well, not even that. I'm talking about, like, the school part. Like, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, why... Why even waste my time going right. to class? It's right, like I'm, making, I'm just as forever. Making money hand over foot. Right. I, 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 there's nothing that this could prepare me for right. that I'm going to be dealing with now. But look, she went to do it and get she, an education outside of what she was doing. Right. She I mean, loved her education. geared towards what her career was. But yeah. it's, uh, you know, kind of just shows you she... Uh, what type of person she was. Yeah, she was very... Um, she was humble. Extremely. Know? Yes, and I think it's also... It shows a lot about who she was and how she handled everything that happened to her years prior to that with R. Mm -hmm. Kelly. 
Because she could have gone down a completely different path after oh that. Oh, my that God. Is, that's trauma, what she went through. Yeah, you see a lot of train wrecks in Hollywood that just well, go I off mean, the deep end. Well, I mean, there's no book on how to deal with that. And for someone at her age to turn that into a... She didn't let that ruin her life. Right. That's true. And I guess, I, I mean... I guess I got to give credit where credit's due on her family side because it seemed like her parents might have encapsulated and probably put their arms around her, so to speak, with her brother. Um, I think they probably got very protective, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. But, yeah, you're right. It could have been bad. Yeah. (laughs) It could have been bad. Because I read somewhere, and I didn't do because I had so much information in this outline, is that... Nobody wanted to mess, you know, give her, like, work with her for a bit after that whole R. Kelly because they had linked her to it for a bit. Because that, what, what was it, when she, just she, 1996, and that album came out in 94. By 95, it had hit the fan. It shit had hit the yeah. fan. And then it was 90, you know, she hired him in 96. So it was, like, touch and go probably, you know. Um, but I'm glad it worked out. And I mean, an example of how down to earth you were talking about how humble she was um, for the video, One in a Million, which I love. Actually, that one did well as far as um, MAC Cosmetics because mm-hmm. that, that lip glass became huge because that's what she wore in that video. Everybody wanted to go get the lip glass. But it was shot in Los Angeles in 1996, One in a Million. And the director said that the shoot was going really well. It was on schedule. That's so weird that that airplane is taking that long. I don't know. Uh, is that what that is? No, it's a helicopter. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. There's a ton of sirens out there earlier, so I'm guessing he's hovering. What? Sounds like he's hovering. Wow. Yep, he's hovering. That's crazy. But, um... So the shoot was going well, according to Paul Hunter. Paul Hunter is a big-time video director. And when it was time to move to another location, you know, most stars will get their little limo and just get in the car. She got on up in there with the crew and was like, okay, let me squeeze up in here. And she didn't request a limo, like a lot of celebrities. She just said, I'm getting in here with uh, Christian and Megan, and we're going to squeeze up in here. And she, that's what they loved about her. I know, isn't that cool? So earlier I mentioned that Aaliyah said that her role model was Barbara Streisand in The Star is Born, so she always wanted to act, as you can always tell. And in 1998, at 19, she hired her first acting coach, Harold Guskin. Guskin had worked with a lot of respected Hollywood actors like Glenn Close and James Gandolfini. By the way, you know his son is going to be in the, the younger version of him in the movie for The Sopranos? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. They're doing a, um, a Sopranos movie. That's great. And Michael Gandolfini um, is going to play him. That's he's good. been an actor. He's been in a lot of good stuff. Well, that's a great little tribute then. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. For his dad. You're right. It is. I see the lights. Yep. Um, so, Guskin's acting lessons were demanding, and he his lessons are both, he might still be an acting coach. But he's very demanding, both intellectually and emotionally. But after a few introductory hours, they said that Aaliyah was happily seeing him several times a week. And he said it. You can't survive me unless you're a hard worker, he said. And he said, I work with great actors, and she fit right in. She was great. He said she was serious and (coughs) curious. Uh, She worked a lot, and he was very tough on her. 
and that she honed her acting craft by acting in scenes from uh, various classics like Tennessee Williams. Anybody know what the play for Tennessee Williams play is? Think Marlon Brando, think Stella. Hmm. Streetcar Named Desire, when he goes, Stella! You don't know that? Mm -mm. No. What? That was like made Marlon Brando's career, one of them. Again, always come over here for you to <laughs> drop some knowledge on Boom. us. But he, she was big and she did, he wrote a play called The Glass Menagerie about his sister, but yeah, he did a lot. Of, Tennessee Williams was like huge. Well, and, yeah, I know the name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he also did one with um, Hot Tin Cat on Hot Tin Roof. He mm -hmm. wrote that one. I've heard that one. I haven't yep. seen it. Unless, but Streetcar Named Desire. Well, yeah, or not much plays. That's not really our Well, they made movies out of uh, well, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Elizabeth Taylor and yep. Paul Newman. That's well, I know Paul Newman. Slapshot, yeah. great movie. Oh yeah, yeah. All time hockey movie right there. Well, they, oh, because you're a hockey, Absolutely. you're a hockey buff. Now, who's your now favorite? We're getting into my. Who's my your favorite life. player? Oh. Do you what? know what you're starting to get into by asking? I mean, this? it's gonna be what, good. Whatever. I got one good. Whatever. Thing for you, you can't really. You can't. Do you love golf more than hockey? Equally. Equally. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Megan says you get up. You get up really early to go play golf. Not me. Not yeah, I. Said, yeah. I used to get up really early to go play hockey. Really. Happy Gilmore is like, like your best of both worlds. <laughs> you grew up in freaking Southern California. Yeah. And you like hockey? Thank God for Wayne Gretzky to come out here. I would have never loved it. I got a Wayne Gretzky story that I told my boss one time. All of my bosses. I'm going to tell you, it's going to take two seconds. So, as you can tell, I love biographies. Mm -hmm. And I used to love A&E biography a lot. And I watched the a and &E biography on Wayne Gretzky. And the one that gave me a line that I remember for the rest of my life. So when he, he was always kind of a small guy. And when he was in Canada, he, they interviewed his dad. And his dad said that when he was a little kid, <coughs> he always told him, you need to master the art of anticipation. He said, don't look at where you where it's gonna go, where the pu hockey puck is gonna go, you think about where you think it's gonna end up. You gotta master the art of anticipation. So I used that in my job not too many months ago when we were talking about something, or a client, it was one of my movies, and I said, that's, that's not how it's gonna go. It's gonna go over here. And they were like, what do you mean? And I gave him the story. He's a hockey, he loves hockey. Our boss, Megan, and, and, and so I said, you got to master the, I've mastered the art of anticipation in my job. This is where it's going to go. Sure enough, that situation went right where I that's said great. it. So that's from Wayne Gretzky's dad, got to master the art of anticipation. Yeah, I mean, look, he wasn't the best skater and didn't have the nice shot, but he was always there. He was always there. Was... His dad told, taught him that on ice in Canada. That's why he's the top goal scorer in the NHL. Still? Oh, that that record will never be broken. I mean, Alex Ovechkin could probably come close to mm -hmm. it, but I mean, and he never lost any teeth because you know a lot of times when <laughs> it's my favorite game to play when we watch any pro hockey game. Oh. How many teeth do they have? Because right. they're all millionaires and they, they look like they're homeless. Yeah, but I mean, like <laughs> they why look would like you... Leon Spinks. You remember I mean... Leon Spinks on the cover of that Sports Illustrated? He had like no teeth in the front. Oh. He's like this. It's like Drew Doughty now. No, no two front teeth. No Both two gone. front oh, that's teeth. That's cute. <laughs> Sign 
sign me up for that. He can whistle. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can whistle. He's blowing hot air out. <laughs> oh, I'm from the South. Maybe you can find a way. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> besides hiring an acting coach. God, and we I, really got off topic there. I know. I might keep that in about mastering the art of anticipation, kids. So besides hiring an acting coach in 1998, she also went to the Oscars at 19 years old. She contributed a song called Journey to the Past to the 20th Century Fox animated film Anastasia, and it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Song. She performed it at the awards show. It lost, of course. Do you know what it lost to? 99. 98. 98. You want me to give you a hint? My heart will go on. Yeah. Uh Joseph. <laughs> one of your favorite characters in the, oh, in the film. Yes. He was He was the one that caused the the gem that one. The one that caused the ship to go into the iceberg according to Megan. Yes. And it happened in real life too cuz yeah. he was like ostracized. He's the worst. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 she would later say so it lost of course to Titanic. Mm-hmm. And she would later say that when she was walking down the carpet, you know, like walking the red carpet, that everybody kept saying, it's the most watched Oscars ever. And she's like, that doesn't like, <laughs> that that didn't make her feel good. You know, it didn't help at all because she knew she had to perform for the most watched Oscars ever. It's a beautiful performance. If you get a chance, people should watch it. Because we've done one on Elliot Smith, and Elliot Smith was nominated that same time for uh, Miss Misery for Goodwill Hunting. Huh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, Celine Dion gave him a hug backstage right before he went on. But Michael Bolton was singing after her, she said, and we were both backstage going, God, are you as nervous as I am? She said it was a hell of an experience, Phil. So at 19, wow. you're performing at the Oscars. Well, you got to make you feel a little bit better, Michael Bolton, say, man, are you nervous? Yeah. I'm nervous. I'm nervous, I know. Aaliyah scored a really big radio hit in 1999 with the hit song, are You That Somebody, off the soundtrack to the Eddie Murphy comedy, Dr. Doolittle. She had worked with her buddy Timbaland again. Did you remember that? The movie? The yes. song? You remember uh, the song? I mean, again, you like... You know I, that song. I, if I heard it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's Aaliyah. Oh, yeah, that's you, the, you would... That's the thing. Like, I'm not, not like, a, a super fan by any means like this one But right you love you loved um, R&B. Oh, I do. I do. But it's not... I love R&B, but I'm not, like, an expert in it. Well, you're my... You're the most because you love Tribe Called Quest, so oh, yeah. that did it for me, right That's there. old school rap. You like, got, you got, Tribe you Called got. Quest, Jurassic Five, yeah, you love people Jurassic under the Five. stairs. Tribe Called Quest, Ooh. you're like a that's legend right there. You can't find anybody who doesn't love a Tribe Called Quest. No. Dan loved Tribe Called oh, Quest. Dan Cooper loved it. I mean, he might have saw them perform. He said, I, I think, think he did. Yeah, I think he saw them when he was in New York at Columbia. Did he really? Mm-hmm. So she got her big acting break when she started in Romeo Must Die. Um, do you guys know who else was in Romeo Must Die? Mm-hmm. Little Romeo. <laughs> <laughs> Little Romeo. Big Romeo like Must Die. Six. So no. <laughs> Jet Li. That's right. Actually, I did see DMX. that. I did see that movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. She played Trisha Day, the daughter of a business-like family-oriented gangster. So she put some of her new little acting skills to use that she learned with, um, with Gooskin, and she refused to use. See, I didn't know this, 
is that I guess when actors want to like cry or like this is supposed to be a scene, like they use sometimes chemicals like to make to artificially to make them cry on camera, like blowing menthol up their nose or putting fake tears on her oh. cheeks. Dude, if I had to put menthol up my nose, like I'd be like sneezing. And but you put Vicks. Like... That wouldn't make What you cry. should do is eat an onion. Eat an cut, onion? Not eat an onion. You got to cut an onion. You got to cut an onion? onion? Yeah, you got to cut an onion. And that does, that makes you cry, right? That, that hurts. Yeah, but that does. Yeah, yeah. See, I would just cut an onion. Eating an onion, wouldn't that make you cry too? No. Well, no, you'd you be like, throw up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big old butt. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I see, that sucks, man. I always thought these guys were that good that they could just, like, on demand. Like, Some of them can. are. Some aren't. You know what I mean? Not everybody did method acting. You know what I mean? Not everybody trained like Al Pacino. I mean, I, I just imagine you just think of the most fucked up thing that can happen to you in life, and, like, boom. But like, I think how that, do you not that only cry? works so many times, I think. Well, that's what oh. she did. She said when I had to do my crying scene, I had to deal with a lot of pain and emotion to bring the tears up. And she told the magazine that that was the most intimidating part of the script. And she said, my grandmother passed away two years before. And she said, I was very close with her. So I thought about her a lot and those painful moments in my life. And it was a very depressing, draining day. But when I see it now, it's rewarding to know that's how she was able to dredge it up, you know, mm -hmm. and that she could do the actual real tears. So if you watch Romeo Must Die and you see Aaliyah acting and she has the tears, those, those are true tears. So Romeo Must Die was a solid hit at the box office. It made $90 million. Uh, the movie was also pivotal for another reason <coughs> for her. Joel Silver produced that film. Okay, he's a big time mm -hmm. producer. And at the time, he had just produced Matrix One. He was so impressed with her that that's when he cast her in Matrix Part Two and Three. She was gonna be in the Matrix. Damn. She was signed up for it. In fact, Anona Gay took over her role, but he was he gave an interview online that talked about how impressed he was that she did in Romeo Must Die. And he's like, done. Gots to be. Wow. So she was signed on. That would have been like oh. a career. That was it. I mean, the crazy thing is, is like she was 22? 22. Yep. 22. 22 when she died. I mean, right. think about it. And people were already touting her as like... It. I mean, it. She was... I mean... Isn't that crazy? She was like... I mean, the thing is, is like when you think of Aaliyah, you think she's older just because right. of what she had accomplished. Right. No. Same thing with like Tupac and Biggie. It was like... I know. They they like, squeezed so much like, into... Tupac was 25. Yeah. I know. God. 25. I think, I think Biggie was around that 24 age or something. Yeah. yeah. He was a little bit younger. I mean, Tupac was older, but... I mean, Right. Yeah. He was young, though. I know. Isn't that crazy? I know. I'd lose that on trivia night if I didn't know that, or didn't you know somebody? Somebody yeah. told me that recently. So, what? How young he was? Like yeah. He told me he was like just twenty five. I was like, mm -hmm. really? Was yeah. Like he was twenty eight, twenty nine. But he had had so there. many hits and squeezed so much in a few years. I mean, Aaliyah was only like famous for seven years. Well, Biggie only did what two albums? I think two albums. Two. But one after he died. Right. Well, he was recording it. It was it came out. Then he, oh, right, but because it was supposed to come out like that next week and they pulled it back for just a bit and then released it. Mm -hmm. Life After Death. Yes. That one. So I'll count that one because it was the last studio album. Yep. But it, you're right. It was like two or three. It wasn't that many. Yeah. 
Same for her, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, same for her. I mean, that's... Same for her, yeah. Crazy. I mean, she, three albums. But anyway, so soon after that, director Michael Reimer was casting for his movie, Queen of the Damned, and he found himself talking... By the way, do you guys know who wrote Queen of the Damned, the book? No. Think of Interview with the Vampire. Did you guys see that film? No. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm the worst at You this. didn't see that with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise? No. Interview with the Vampire? Oh, I know. I never saw it. I know. Oh, yeah, that. it was you good. But Anne Rice. Yeah, yeah. Anne Rice was the novelist, and it was huge at the time. Yeah, you were like two. Okay. And you were probably three. So <laughs> those, those were huge novels. But anyway, Queen of the Dam, and he found himself talking with Willem Dafoe. I know you know who Willem Dafoe yep. is. John mm-hmm. Wick, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. Platoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. English patient. I love English patient. But anyway, when Michael brought up Aaliyah's name to Willem, Willem says, oh, Aaliyah's amazing. Yeah, my son is a huge fan. Uh, I know all about her. She's amazing. So he decided to meet with her at that point. And also, Willem Dafoe would, um, I remember seeing him in an interview. I don't know if you guys remember Dr. Dre's um, The Chronic. Yeah. Not The Chronic. It was the one, The Chronic 2000. Yeah. It was like. Chronic 2001. Yes. He would. He loved like that whole album because his son loved that album. William so, Defoe. Yep, his son was loved hip hop, obviously, oh. and R and B. Yeah. So he met with Aaliyah, and he said, "Listen, if you're gonna do this movie, you're gonna have to work your butt off. Uh, and if <coughs> you're not prepared to do this, then you're wasting everybody's time." He told her, and I, he said, "I said this to her the first time I met her." He said. If you're not prepared to do all that, you're going to make a fool of yourself and you're going to fail. Uh, this is a dangerous part. So how do you think Aaliyah reacted? Sign me up. Challenge accepted. Exactly. She said, no problem. She said, what do I do and who with and when do I start? She wasn't even worried about it. And one thing to say, he cast her. But one thing that he said that I thought was amazing, he said, this is what he said. He said she was the sweetest, kindest person he'd ever met. He called her a very spiritually advanced sort of soul, and he also applied it to her mom and her brother because they, they came with her when she was met with him. He said they were just like unfazed, real easygoing, very down to earth. But for somebody to call you a spiritually advanced sort of soul, that's... Pretty deep. I know. And this is after she'd had all those hits. So the Queen of the Damned uh, was filmed in and around Melbourne, Australia. She had to go down there. And by the way, she had to wear some painful contact lenses for a lot of those scenes and stuff like that as the Queen of the Damned. And she started uh, shooting it in October 2000. Um, and she was 21 years old at this point. And simultaneously, she began working on that last studio album mm-hmm. that we were listening to uh, with Timbaland. Timbaland and all of them came, flew to Australia. Everybody was kind of like, eh. But they, the recording was mostly done at Sing Sing Studios in Melbourne. And Aaliyah and the rest of her team had a lot of fun in the studio and outside of it. So she, would, she was up at 4 a.m., getting the makeup and shooting all day until 6 p.m. And then she'd go into the studio at 7 p.m. and work all night until 11 or 12 p.m. at night. And somebody can call you the kindest and sweetest person that they'd ever met. It's a great work ethic. Extremely great work ethic. 
I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, four hours of sleep consistently does not work well for me. So I know. I don't think to even think at 22 either. <laughs> With being in all that makeup. Dude, and eight hours wasn't enough when I was 22. I was still I growing. I know. I was a grown boy at 22. But she was such a professional. Well, she made a commitment. Yeah. She was, you could t- she was the type of person who was like, this is my time. Like, she didn't waste the one moment. No, she didn't. She didn't have time to get cranky and What well, makes you think that crazy. she was so much older than she was? Right, and to think, remember when we dealt with, fa- how, with Frank and how Frank would act a fool oh, and he was curse ridiculous. people out, act a fool. Even Amy, she was yeah, fly Amy off the handle. Yeah, Amy talked shit about people and, and called people names. And This girl is crazy. And like Amy, you know, she got famous really young and like Frank. Mm-hmm. All three of them, and out of the three of them, she was the one. Aaliyah is the one who handled yeah, her, it. She had her like shit a charm. together. Yeah, she yeah. Had her shit together. But she died the youngest. Yeah. A good die young. She did. She did die the youngest. That's right. Dang. So after shooting ended at the end of 2000, I think it was December. While back in the U.S., sometime in 2001, Aaliyah bought a place in Central Park West in New York City, and started quietly dating Damon Dash. They met being in the same circle of friends, so they probably already knew each other for a few years, maybe. Uh, and he said that one thing about her is that she would give you a shot. She would date you, and but you could end up in the friend zone. He said she was very authentic and sweet. She was his love of his life, as we know. She was 21 and he was uh, 29 at the time, I think, when they met. So maybe it was like the year before when they met being in the same circles. So Damon fell in love with her quickly and said that they had a lot of fun together. And they were soon appearing in the gossip columns. The New York Post wrote about them in April 2001 as being the hottest record executive in the hip-hop world, hooking up with a simmering R&B star. And um, they were inseparable uh, during that time. And she started expanding her musical taste. We talked about Trent Reznor. She loved Trent Reznor. of Nine Inch Nails, in case people don't know. Trent Reznor is an innovative musical artist who is the leader of the industrial rock band Nine Inch Nails and one half of an Oscar-winning film composer duo. Trent's riveting and at times heart-wrenching song lyrics have made him one of the most influential artists of his generation. Rightly so, Spin Magazine calls him one of the most vital artists in music. Trent's songs have been covered by such diverse artists as Karen O, Maxwell and Johnny Cash. Music legend Johnny Cash covered Trent's song Hurt on his last studio album, American Fall, The Man Comes Around. Trent would later say, Having Johnny Cash, one of the greatest singer-songwriters of all time, want to cover your song, that's something that matters to me. It's not so much what other people think, but the fact that this guy felt that it was worthy of interpreting. She said, I think he's dope. And she said his sounds and melodies are just ridiculous and amazing. And she said that last album, I don't know what album that was around that time, she called it Sick. And for the oldies out there, that means great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sick means good. Uh, Damon and Aaliyah started appearing in public around this time in May 2001. And the couple celebrated his 30th birthday with a party in Manhattan. And she played the host and everybody was there. Jay-Z, Missy Elliott, Mary J. Blige. Everybody. And later that month, they were out on the town again at Jay-Z's mom's 
Mother's Day raffle in Brooklyn. Um, so his birthday must have been in the spring, or must be in the spring. On July 4th, 2001, Bad Boy and Rockefellers had a softball game barbecue in East Hampton. P. Diddy was there, Leah was there as well, posing for pictures. So Damon was really smitten and had marriage on his mind. He said, we were definitely going to get married after the Matrix. Uh, she was the one. She was definitely the one for me. It wasn't an official proposal, but we just talked about it a lot. Now, did she date Jay-Z? You know what? I read that she might have went out with him, but maybe put him in the friend zone. Maybe. Damon said that they both were vying for attention, I think, at first. Mm. I think I, Damon I read, read that, that too, but I just never knew what was true or not. Right. Damon said it somewhere that they must have liked her both. I mean, how could you not like her, I guess? Uh, so in March 2001, she finished recording the tracks for her last studio album, Aaliyah. And the album was released on July 17, 2001. It debuted at number two on the Billboard charts because Alicia Keys' first album was number one. I love that album, too. So another example of her being the sweetest person on earth, before the album was released, she had a listening party for her album, which is normal, as we all know, in the business. And she brought up her whole album production team onto a little stage, and she introduced and thanked each one. She was very happy that they were there, and she had a great time. And in June and July, she started doing press interviews for the album. And like a lot of celebrities, which you probably know, Christian, being in marketing, you know, she conducted she conducted the interviews in luxury hotels around New York City, of course. I think one of them was Trump Tower. And uh, um, she traveled under a false alias, you know, when you and you at the hotel mm -hmm. to avoid media. A lot of bands do this, I guess, to avoid um, fans and media. And she used the alias of Veronica Lake. You guys know who she is? Wasn't uh, that was like a famous TV show, wasn't it? Oh, you oh. might be talking about. Um, you know what? You're uh, talking about Archie and something. I don't know. But it's not that. But this chick, Just I didn't really that. know who edit she that was. Out. <laughs> I will. It's okay. So Veronica Lake was a beautiful, well-known actress from the golden age of Hollywood, 1940s, and she was a. I guess her mom admired Veronica Lake, and Veronica Lake had a trademark. She was known for putting her hair on one side of her face and covering up her eye in front of her face, leaving only one eye showing, which is where Leah got the idea from. Okay, because she started to do that. Yeah, yeah, she got that from Veronica Lake, and so she would always travel under that alias, Veronica Lake. <clears throat> so in the interviews for the album, she remarked that some of her babies from the album were Never Know More and More Than a Woman. I love More Than a Woman. Which, Me too. Which, that's your, what's your favorite from the album? Oh. I Miss You. Is that from there too? I thought, is I Miss You off of I love I Need a Resolution. Maybe not. But I, I love I Need a Resolution. That wasn't off that album, was yes, it? Yes, it was. I Need a Resolution. Yeah, that's on there. Timberland raps on it. Yes, he does. Oh, I thought that was... Yeah, because the video was... You know what? I just see it right here. You know, she she spoke about this album. You were talking about the sound sounded more sexually alluring. Yeah, it was. It, because well, Rock the Boat's very... Rock the Boat. Yeah. That's one of my favorites, too. I mean, it's a Kim, great song. Yeah. She spoke about this album being a demonstration of her coming into her own as a singer and as an artist and as a woman. Um, and she was in love, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, in the video, We Need a Resolution... 
and it features a track by a rap by Timberland, and she appeared with this large snake entwined around mm -hmm. her. Uh, she loved it. She said, that's a dark side of me that comes out in everything I do. And I like that video because it was futuristic, intelligent, and sexy all at the same time. But she had an affinity for snakes, and Uncle Barry gave her a pet snake, which she introduced on TRL to Carson Daly. She made him close his eyes, and he was, he was like, close your eyes. I have something to tell you, just close your eyes. And he was like, uh, okay, I'm kind of scared, okay. So he closes his eyes, and it's in front of the audience, and he comes up with the little snake. He's like, look, look, Uncle Barry bought me. He's like, ah! So he kind of jumped a little bit. And she's like, I need a name for it. I think he said, name it Boots. Boots. I don't know if she did it. So in her last interview, she said she relied on her record company and her family, unlike Amy, who talked about her record company that time. Uh, she said it was a, a family affair, and she said she wouldn't have it any other way. She said she, these people love her, and they know they always have my best interests at heart no matter what, and they protect me and they watch out for me, and they let me be free at the same time. And she said they're pretty good about separating family and business. And she divulged that her apartment in Manhattan was littered with Egyptian art objects, like cat statues, Egyptian pictures, even a dresser shaped like a pyramid. She said she had a bit, bit of an exception with Egypt. What'd you think about that? I never would have known that about her. I, I was a little surprised too, I must admit. That's something that you both have in common. Yeah, I have a weird interest in. Really? I just you got I... cats? What? <laughs> you definitely got cats. Yeah. What's your cat's name? Olivia and Penny. Olivia and Penny. They're not Egyptian names. <laughs> what? <laughs> they I just, just think Penny. Egyptian history is interesting. Really? But I, I didn't, I didn't know that about you. Did. I never knew that about you. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. How does it come out? How do you? How does it exude it? Like shirts comes out in pictures. Oh no! I just found it fascinating learning about it. When do you I was read a kid? You, do you still read about it? No. I just remember that was the stuff I had paid attention the most for. <laughs> Did you ever go see King Tut? No. You know, he traveled. He mm -hmm. used to travel a lot. Yeah, I, never I think did. it was right before she moved out here. Used to oh, have an yeah. Exhibit. exhibit down at. Yeah, I've never seen it. At LACMA. It was pretty cool. That is cool. Mm hmm. It's on permanent display now in Egypt, I think, or somewhere like that. Yeah, somewhere like that. But because they, they renovated it, something where, you, like, certain light, certain times of the day. It's really cool. Um, so also in July 2001, she gave an interview to a German magazine called DZ. I don't know how to say it in German, but it means the time. Mm -hmm. This interview was key and haunting for me for a few reasons. Listen to this. I got your attention, Christian. Mm -hmm. One, she spoke about her dreams of getting married one day and having kids. Um, and creating a, she wanted to immediately create a fashion line with her best friend, Kadada, who's Quincy Jones's daughter, and who was in that campaign ad with her at mm -hmm. Tommy Hilfiger. And that was going to happen in the next year if she had lived. Uh, she wanted to establish herself as an actress and then take a break, go to college, and study Egyptology. Ooh, she really loved that. Yeah. Lastly, and most importantly, she spoke about a recurring dream. <clears throat> in which she said, I lift off, I feel free, no one can reach me, it's a wonderful feeling, and I'm worried. She, a little bit in the dream, she says, this person, she says, what does he want from me? 
that I would escape from the pressures of his success. She said, it's dark and my favorite dream. Someone followed me. Why, I don't know. I'm afraid. Then suddenly I lift off. Maybe I should have, I think I messed that up. So let me just start off with that again. It's a recurring dream and it's a dark dream that she kept having. Um, and she said, it's the dark in my favorite dream. Someone followed me. Why, I do not know. I'm afraid. Then suddenly I lift off. I fly far away. How do I feel myself? Feel as if I'm swimming in the air, free, weightless. No one can reach me. No one can touch me. And it's a wonderful feeling. Still, I'm worried a little. And she just thought, what does that someone want from me? And that sounds spooky, doesn't it? Yeah. That's so spooky. That's because that plane crash happened next the next month. So it might have been a premonition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm a full believer that, you know, stuff like that is. Mm-hmm. But look what happened to Left Eye. Left you know, Eye, too. Hers, hers she was, was being chased. Yeah. She said she kept she seeing darkness. Yeah. yeah. And look what happened. Yeah. And the kid, her assistant accidentally hit a kid and killed a kid. And the kid's last name was Lopez. And she said she thought that spirit was coming for her. Like in Final Destination. Mm-hmm. And she thought that it was coming. For, she died like within two weeks after that. Oh, man. She felt like a presence. Like there was like a yeah. spirit was yeah. like after her. Yeah. That's and she kept brutal. saying, uh, you don't die, you transform. Your energy transforms. I agree. And so Aaliyah said that. That was her recurring dream. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? That is crazy. So here we go. You know, I said that the plane crash happened, which is kind of weird because weightless, she's going up in the no sky. The same thing. Yeah. Yeah, she's... Uh, Swimming in the air. No, you're, you're right. I think you, you nailed it. I think she kind of... I mean, sometimes you get so in tune, it's I like think. It's like a hunch, yeah. Yeah, you get it's in tune. a real tune. life angel. Yeah. You know, so I think I think she she, she kind of saw it coming without knowing that it was coming. Yeah. Wow. So. That's very true. So filming for Rock the Boat, for the Rock the Boat video kicked off in Miami on August 22nd, 2001. And it required some difficult underwater shots. And after that part of the shoot, Aaliyah and about a dozen of her team flew down to the Bahamas to complete the project. Um, Saturday, August 25th, 2001, started off as like a beautiful day. She had just wrapped up filming for the video and she had stuff to do once she got back in the U.S. She had the MTV Video Music Awards coming up to prepare for. She was set to take some martial arts training and then fly down to Australia to begin filming The Matrix Part Two and do a few more vocal overdubs to her film, The Queen of the Dam. She had cool music projects in the works, including a collaboration with Beck, which would later come out called I Am Music that Timbaland was producing. And most importantly, she wanted to spend some quality time with Damon for a bit before everything just takes off. And Damon would later say that he had told her not to go to the Bahamas. Almost like he kind of knew. Mm-hmm. And he said if he had been with her, they wouldn't have got on that plane that they got on. He said, you know, because he's a CEO of Rockefeller's, so he'd have been like, no, we need a jet. You know what I mean? He would have insisted on a jet. Um, so on August 25th, night 2001, why am I flubbering? I am flubbing a lot right now. 
but maybe because I'm about to be sad. I know. Dang it. So on August 25th, 2001, I'm going to get through this. Around 2 p.m., everybody broke for lunch on the video, on the last day, last shoot day for the video. And around 5 p.m., they were all done. Aaliyah washed off her makeup and prepared to leave. She signed a few autographs, got into a cab, said, bye, see you all later. She cheerfully called out to crew members and a few of the others who had come to say their farewells. <coughs> and according to the New York Post, her final moments seemed to be happy ones. She started singing as soon as she entered the cab and continued singing all the way to Marsh Harbor Airport. And at some point after 6 p.m., she boarded a waiting plane, a twin-engine Cessna 402B, and besides Aaliyah, there were eight other passengers on board. The pilot, Louis, Louis Morale, Morales, assistant hairstylist Anthony Dodd, 34, of Los Angeles, hairstylist Eric Foreman, 29, of Hollywood, her bodyguard, Scott Gallen, who was 41, of Florida, Keith Wallace, 49, of Los Angeles, a close friend of her mom's, uh, black ground executive, Gina Smith, 30, of New Jersey, and Douglas Kratz, 28, of Hollywood. He was the director of video production for Virgin Records America. And makeup artist, Christopher Maldonado, 32, of New York. And by the way, Christopher was filling in for her regular makeup artist. Mm -hmm. God. So the plane crashed shortly after takeoff, killing all on board, including Aaliyah. And Gallen, the bodyguard, survived the initial impact and spent his last few moments worrying about Aaliyah. You know, he was kept asking about her condition to the um, to whomever showed up, I guess the emergency guys. Um, so Claude Sawyer, 25, a charter pilot, witnessed the crash. He told a reporter that he was working on some machinery about a half mile away when he saw it go up and he said, I saw it go up, and then it banked to the left and just nose-dived. He said the plane was only up about 60 to 100 feet off the ground when it began to go into his fatal dive. And when he arrived at the scene, he was stunned by what he saw. And he said he had seen crashes before, but it was probably one of the worst he had ever seen in his life. He said it was pretty devastating. Um, the aircraft was broken into pieces, and some of the seats were ejected from the aircraft. And he said he tried to help, but he found that he was already too late. He said that they were hoping that they could save somebody. But um, before their arrival, the fireman who was there advised us that there were people from the crash who were still living, like the bodyguard. And the crash occurred in like a swampy ground. Uh, and there were like fire spots surrounding the site. So it broke out in the fire. And some of the bodies of the victims were on fire, too. Oh. Um, and at that point, three people had survived, not just Gallon, I guess two other people. And he said when he saw them, they appeared to be mortally wounded, of course. And the survivors were all men. Uh, Aaliyah had already, she, she must have died on impact. Thank God she didn't have to suffer. And in the end, even the trio of passengers who survived, the initial impact, uh, you know, they just eventually, they succumbed to their injuries. One died en route to the hospital. Another arrived at the hospital in a coma and then died at 3.28 a.m. And the third died at the clinic. Um, he said it was kind of amazing that they even survived as long as they did because um, it was such a horrific um, plane crash. Oh. I never really knew the details of that. That's so awful. I know. I know. It's horrible. I mean, yeah. It was horrible. I think she, 
died of like wounds to the head and and just oh. everything. Yeah. Well, at least she, like you said, at least she didn't suffer. Yeah. I mean, for somebody. Yeah. Who Do we know that? Like, I don't know how we could confirm that. I think that they. I. I don't think I put it in here. Did I put it in here about her? I read somewhere. Um about what they said she had died of, but I think there's they did some type of, cause like with Paul Walker, he only lived for like, the the driver in Paul Walker's crash. Roger. Yeah, Roger died instantly, I think on impact. And Paul Walker like lived for like a few seconds, I think, because they had, he had soot in his airway yeah. so that oh. like he was breathing. Yeah, just a bit. Um, that would have been horrible to see. Like, that would have devastated me, I think, to see any oh. of this. Oh, I think that devastated both of us when we heard that happen. I know, it I devastated cried me. I when I found out he died. Oh, was... my God, yes. It was horrible. And they had it on video. See, back then, at least, yeah. with Aaliyah, them guys, well, you didn't have it on video. I had no idea. I, did, I knew it was a plane crash, but horrific. I didn't know if it was in the water. I didn't know if it was by it... the swamp. Ugh. And it was horrific. Because you know it was bad if there was a fire, little fires around the swamp. Oh, oh God. So, um, sad details came out later that the pilot was unlicensed at the time of the accident and had traces of alcohol and cocaine in his system. Uh, Aaliyah's family later filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the Airways. I guess that's the owner of the plane or something. And it was settled out of court. Don't know what the settlement was. Uh, after the crash, a controversy raged, and I remember this, that the small plane was overloaded. And um, a policeman, Leland Russell, told VH1's Behind the Music that some people were saying that the pilot was arguing with the passengers, saying that it was too much weight to put on the plane that was right before they you know, went up in the air, and that the passengers kept saying that their luggage must go and we must go, and we cannot leave anything on the ground. And after the accident, according to a spokesperson for the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, the Federal Aviation Administration and the manufacturers of planes went to Abaco on a fact-finding trip. I guess they went down there to see what, what went on. So the NTSB did issue a brief report. And what they found is that the baggage from the airplane, they removed it and weighed it, and the total weight of the luggage Fuel on the board at the time of the accident, plus the weight of the passengers, showed that the total gross weight of the airplane, air, total gross weight of the airplane was su substantially exceeded. I think I remember that her bodyguard, like the bodyguard, weighed like 300 pounds, like yeah. it was, and so it was too much weight for the plane. Um, so I don't know if that that I mean I'm sure it doesn't help that Louis Luis had been on probation and stuff. You I think know, it was probably a combination of both. Of all that. It was, yeah. a, it was a perfect storm. It was just a tragedy. It was just, yeah. Um, and he was, they felt like he was unqualified to be flying a plane, but I don't know. And here's the weird thing about what her brother said. He said it boggles his mind to think about it. I'm sure he thinks about this every day. Because Rashad said that he, his mom, or their dad had always been with her on every video. Mm -hmm. They went to, with her on every video. And that last video, 
It was really strange, he said, because the mom had eye surgery and she couldn't fly. Uh, and it really bothered her because she always traveled with her. And the dad had to take care of the mom at the time, so he stayed behind. And then he said he went on a trip to Australia to visit some friends, and none of them were there. They missed, they narrowly missed being in that crash. He thought, you know, because I guess they probably ruminated, like, could we have stopped this? Could we have yeah. said something or did something? But you can't really answer that question, you know. Yeah, you can't put that on yourself either. Right. You can't. You just can't. It just wasn't their time. Nope. You know. So weeks after Leah's passing, you know, Dash was grief-stricken. Damon was. And he would always say she was the best person I ever knew. I never met a person like her in my life, he said. He said, you know, whether we were, you know, at a party or we were just still in our own little world, he said he completely loved her. And I read somewhere, or I think I remember seeing an interview that he said he was, he turned to be the worst after her death. He became the worst. I mean, he said he became almost a monster. He was so grief-stricken by her. So the week after her death, sales of her final album increased by 62,000 copies to 305,000 copies, and the album jumped from number 19 on the Billboard charts all the way to number one, and it pushed her album ahead of Mary J. Blige, Alicia Keys, and NSYNC, and J-Lo, too. Uh, her funeral was held on August 31st, 2001 in New York City. Her body was held in a glass-paneled hearse and was pulled through the streets of Manhattan by a white carriage led by two cream-colored horses. And the hearse was ornamented with like dozens of roses, including pink ones, which was her favorite color. And the carriage didn't have to go far. It went from Frank E. Campbell Funeral Home. I think that Biggie was at Frank E. Campbell's funeral home. I think so, yeah. On the Upper East Side to uh, the Catholic Church. And her mom and dad and brother walked behind the casket. Um, and the, there was a private Catholic funeral mass attended by everybody, including Gladys Knight, Jay-Z, P. Diddy, Little Kim, Buster Rhymes, Usher, um, Mike Tyson, uh, Jet Li, and 10 pallbearers pulled her coffin into the church um, where it was set down next to two large pictures. One was of her in all her beauty, and the other was of her grandmother, Mintus Hankerson, whom Aaliyah was especially close to before she died of breast cancer a few years before. And a quote from Aaliyah was on the grandmother's photo, which said, you are the sun that inspired me and the moon that got me through my nights. Love, Aaliyah. And Aaliyah told an interview from, in a magazine in 2000 about a tattoo that she had. And she said, I have three tattoos. I have my initial and a star on my hand. Um, and she said, four of her friends have a star on their hand as well. And she said, I have a music symbol and a dove on my back, which I wanted to get in honor of my grandmother who passed away two years ago. And the irony is after her funeral, they came out and said, set alight 22 doves for every year of her life. And her brother gave a 15-minute eulogy, and he told her that she left him, but he said he'll see her, you know, someday, and he can see her smiling through the sunshine. I know, it's sad. And he, you know, uh, 
read the names of the other eight crash victims, which I did, and asked everybody in attendance to keep them in her prayers. And then there came the music of Ava Maria, which had been her high school audition song, which they said she had sang perfectly when she auditioned to be in that performing arts school. So her mom began singing One in a Million as they were leaving the church. And everybody joined in and started singing the song, the lyrics from One in a Million. And uh, as I said, after the event, uh, they stood by right after, outside the church when they released 22 white doves for every year of her life. And she was buried in Ferncliff Cemetery in uh, Westchester County, just outside of Manhattan. And she was laid to rest beside her beloved grandma. And also her dad is there now because he died in 2012. So her brother would say, and I can leave it with him, I guess, is he said what he most remember about her in that video, he said, rock the boat, which is what I sent to you earlier today. He said the scene that sticks out most in his mind is the very last scene where she's under the water and she's had, had always had a big fear of water, he said, like the ocean. And he said in the video, um, actually she couldn't use the breath regulator. And, but he said what he remembers most about her, she was such a perfectionist and she was so fearless and she was such a role model for everybody to follow their dreams and to never let anyone give you any limitations. And she said she held her breath for that scene because she knew she had to get that scene right. And she knew how beautiful it was going to be. That's why she did it. And in that scene, if you look at it, it looks like she's an angel floating at the very end. And that's how we should all remember her as an angel. Kind of like what you were saying earlier today. Yeah. That's so sad. I know. I know. But she, I'll end it with her end quote that she said. Aaliyah said that, I want people to remember me as a full-on entertainer and as a good person, which she was. Yeah. And she said, I have to honestly say that everything is worth it. The hard work, the times when you're tired, the times when you're a bit sad, the good moments when you're on stage performing in front of thousands of people, in the end, it's all worth it because it really makes me happy and I wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. I honestly wouldn't. There's nothing better than loving what you do I've got good friends, I've got a beautiful family, and I've got a career, a career that's blossoming and still growing, and I'm truly blessed, and I thank God for his blessings every single chance that I get. That was Aaliyah. We need more Aaliyahs in this world. We sure do, especially right now. We do. She needs to come down and help us right now. (laughs) (laughs) She would have been huge. Oh my Bigger God. than Charity was, I think. Oh my God. And people speculate this all the time. If you if you look it up, like yeah. there's forums and yeah. people are going at their own arguments with it. Yeah. And I really do think she would have been even bigger than she was oh. when she died. With she the Matrix coming in? Yeah, she with the Matrix beginning. coming up and being 22 in the Matrix. And Joel Silver couldn't say enough nice things about her. He loved her. So he, I mean, she got the part in that part, like, just like that. Well, she's influenced so many artists that are famous today, too. Right. She just had such an impact on people. That's why I'm so surprised there's not a lot out there on her and her, and her music isn't available. Well, we talked about that. You can't buy it on no. iTunes. You can't buy it anywhere. You can't stream it anywhere. You can't buy it anywhere. You can, if you're lucky, you'll find it in a secondhand 
store. CDs, you know. Isn't that crazy? Because it was on sale. Because like I said, I bought that whole Her Greatest Hits Her uncle's got that all wrapped up. He will not release it. He won't. We were reading about the article about it today, um, Christian, about uh, the uncle, how he was keeping it it tight under wraps. I think part of the publishing of it was sold off, but you still had to deal with the family. The masters. He owns the masters, yeah. But he sold off part of what? Publishing rights? Publishing rights, not the masters, huh? Masters, the label handles that. Okay, well, that label kind of went defunct i think right yeah it was part of you said it was part of jive uh jive yeah and then it no went more. to atlantic then it went to atlantic uh well blackground is defunct yeah it's yeah. done blackground yeah. records but he's had issues i mean the same thing happened with jojo she was signed to the yeah the family and that was yeah i didn't even know yeah i didn't know he represented timbaland sued him like he yeah is, he's jojo genuine genuine i um did R. Kelly write Pony? No. Somebody else did. Really? It wasn't him. Okay. I can't remember. I know he's written a lot, so I, I can't remember. He, yeah, I know he, he has. Did. I know he, he did. He wrote for like B2K, too. I remember some of their songs. Oh, were... B2K. Really? Yeah. Damn, I didn't yeah. know that. R. Kelly wrote for B2K? He did, yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, well, I don't know. What do you guys think about the whole thing? About which part? She was gone too young, obviously. I think yeah. she... She was resilient because she didn't let that whole stuff, whatever happened. Damon Dash said she would never talk about any of it. She would never bring it up. He felt like it was something deep oh, that had happened. And maybe but he, that would have resurfaced he tried, later but in she her would life. Never, yeah, she might have talked about it maybe later on. But she, she really did not share it with anybody. But anyway... So that's the rockabye. I know it's like, dang, you're sad because she was such a great I just person. want her uncle to be able to, like, my my two cents on it is yeah. it's really sad. It's horrible. Because she has such a great her. legacy. Well, this is ruining her legacy by him not letting her fans and right. people around the world enjoy, hear her music. Enjoy I, it. I'm sure she he was grieving. everybody. I mean, Adele. I know. Everybody she's well, inspired. I know. Drake. Mm-hmm. He got a tattoo of her, right? Yeah. There's I a mean, lot of artists that are very influenced by her. But I don't... I, I understand grieving, but don't take that away from right. what... Right. I don't know all the details of that. I don't know how Yeah, because that article we it. read, it said that he was very grief-stricken. He felt like he had did a wrong... You know, had... He just was very grief-stricken. Um, racked with guilt? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. but that's... Oh. That's all in good, but so you're gonna not let not anybody hear her music. It's not on Spotify. It's not on anything. And there's also those all the vocals that she had laid that were going to that were left over. That oh yeah, yeah. They want yeah. to make a final album for oh, her, yeah. and that's just they wouldn't been let it come out. out for years. Yeah, it wouldn't let it come out. Wow. All right, this is a sad rockabye. <laughs> They're all sad, but well, this is to Aaliyah. We already had a drink on her anyway. We did. So all right. So until the next time for Rockabyes. Thanks guys for coming. Christian yeah, and course. Megan. Anytime. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, one more thing. One more thing I want to bring up about Aaliyah that I was so impressed about. All right. The one thing that I loved about her is that 
you know, she had been compared a lot to Janet Jackson. You know, there were some comparisons yeah. because of their voices. And she took it as a compliment. She because should. she lo- Well, I love Janet Jackson, but she loved Janet Jackson. And she loved that people would compare the two of them sometimes. Yeah, she's a legend. She is a legend. Even back then, Janet was a legend. And she loved Janet. She wanted to work with Janet. And Janet reciprocated because she loved that Aaliyah. In fact, when when MTV, you know, with the MTV Awards, they paid tribute to her. Her brother was there, Missy Elliott and Timberland. And Janet, too, said some really nice things about her. And it's um, it made me think about how Ariana Grande acted with Mariah Carey, how she used to get sick of it. And I'm thinking, Mariah Carey's a legend, too. You know, it should be a compliment. She is a legend. Have your voice be compared to, to Mariah, Mariah Carey. Carey. I know. And so I that's what I loved about Aaliyah. Like she took, like she, you know, was back to helping all of the youngins who were coming up behind her, like Destiny's Child. She picked them up, spent time with them, gave them advice. So she was so open. That's what, that guy was right. Michael Reimer was right. She was the kindest, sweetest person. And okay, now we're going to end Rockabye. Well, well, wait. Tell me something. Now that you bring up Destiny's Child, what right. are your thoughts on this Beyonce question? There's this this question that keeps coming up if you Google it or look it up. Right. That people think that if Aaliyah was alive today, Beyonce wouldn't be where she is right now. Hmm. Do you believe that? I don't know. I mean, because... It might would have been maybe similar to situation between, but they were close in age because mm-hmm. she was 40 and Beyonce was... Um, She's 37? Yeah. And, but she had already been super famous way before yeah, Beyonce yeah. came on the scenes. But it might would have been a situation almost like, but not quite like uh, Lady Gaga and Madonna. Because Madonna's way older than Lady mm-hmm. Gaga. But I, I, I think that she would have had a, a very much bigger career especially with the matrix like it that would have like went into the stratosphere and she was obviously you know her and timberland were like creative soulmates Mm -hmm. so you know he went on to make amazing hits but you know that one song by beyonce of um that rodney jerkins did um is it early stuff? Yeah, it's the first one that like took it into like when you heard the song you had to go out into the dance floor and start dancing is it off her first album yes What's the song? Crazy, crazy in Love? Yes. With Jay-Z? Like, that was Jay-Z. And Rodney Jerkins produced that. Like, it would have came... What did it come out? In 2002, right? Yeah, like three? 2002 2003. or three. Yeah. I I think she would have always been... To, I hate to say this. Movie-wise, I think she would have been bigger than Beyonce. And maybe... She was already bigger than Beyonce when she... By the time Beyonce came out. I think there would have been more competition as it far might, as how been people idolize Beyonce. I feel right. like there would have been like Aaliyah, but it would have been right neck to neck with her. Right, but I think Aaliyah would have handled it in a different way, like she had a, a lot total of grace. Grace, and, and I think she wouldn't have not minded. that Beyonce doesn't. Right, you're right, you're right. Like she's a hard worker too. Very she, much so. I got to give it to her. Yeah, she really she is a hard worker, and she's very talented. So I think they would have been, yeah, extremely talented. So I think they would have been sisters in arms. That's what I would hope for. But I, for some reason, I that's what I see whenever I look it up or, like, look up Aaliyah. That will come up. Maybe like a, a Whitney Houston and Mariah. Maybe. Because they were both big in their own right. 
True. You know, I mean, you can't compare to Whitney and you can't compare to Mariah. They're both so different and unique. Now, do you have a favorite Aaliyah song? Oh, I love One in a Million. That's a great song. I love More Than a Woman. More Than a Woman's great. What about you? I love, well, we were listening. There's a ton of them, but... I love the At Your Best, You Are Love. Oh, no, yeah. Viewed, or, wait. Isn't no, it let me know. Bur- no, it's Let Me Know. Let Me Know. Oh, okay, okay, you, okay. At Your Best. They're kind of a similar wordplay, but it's Is Let Me Know. Is that by the Isley Brothers? No, 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 no. It's not that one. It's okay, off. that's right. I liked what she did with Got to Give It Up by her musical hero, Marvin Gaye. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard that. Oh, you know what? If you want to hear Marvin Gaye's Got to Give It Up, you can listen to the song that... Uh, that they stole from him. Oh, oh. That was got to give it up, but you should listen to it. That that was one of her musical heroes and one of mine as well. But, um, yeah, got to give it up. And, you know, I guess if you compare it to Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye got with Janice when she was 17 and he was 40. Yeah, known as mom. Yeah, she was a teenager. Jeez. Yeah. Just saying. But anyway, I mean, Marvin Gaye is my hero. But, yeah, got to give it up. She did She did an Isley Brothers song. Yes, off her in the uh, first, first album. And then with uh, Timbaland, she did the Got to Give It Up. She did a version of it. I'm going to look that up. Of Got to Give It Up. It was awesome. I love Try Again, too, though. Oh, I love Try Again. That was a big single for her. but it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song. Mm-hmm. And Are You Somebody, I think that was one of her mm-hmm. biggest hits from the Dr. Doolittle album. So, yeah. They had a few. Where I miss few? you. Four-page letter. Oh, I miss you. I know. I care for you. I, think I care it. for you is a great song. Well, they sang. They did a video posthumously of "I Miss You." And it was everybody. Because we all miss her. <laughs> yeah, it was P. Diddy. It was Ed, Missy Elliott. Everybody you can think of that was in the video. You know, Missy them were really sad when she died. Oh, they were. That really messed them up. Distraught. You know, I think Timbaland was in love with her. Oh, I know. I think he I think was. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's there to not be? Yeah. Look at her. So I just thought I'd say that because I'm glad we revved it back up yeah. and talked about that part. Me too. Thank you. All right. This is our final goodbye. <laughs> our final rockabye on this one, on, on Aaliyah. We got more coming. All right. Bye. Hello, Rocka Babies. Thank you so much for listening to this wonderful episode on Aaliyah. She was truly a remarkable woman. Don't forget to check out our Instagram, Rockabies Pod, and also our website, RockabiesPodcast.com. Thank you again. Bye-bye.